Christy, Kevin, thank you so much for joining me today on Face the Facts. Really important information that you guys are sharing with us today. I'd like to start with Christy. Christy, could you tell us a little bit about your background? Uh, I know that you are experienced in so many different things, but we're going to be focusing on lipid nanoparticles today. Tell us a little bit about uh, your journey here. Thanks so much, April. Thanks for having me on. Nice to see you, Kevin. Uh, my name is Christy Grace. Uh, I've held several positions. Uh, I've been in the biotech space for about five years. Uh, about five years ago, I started working for a company called Aldevron, and I was hired as their project coordinator. And it's really morphed from there because we had so much need and so much work that had to be done. So I was designing projects when I worked for that company, which is one of the largest plasmid companies in the world. Uh, making recombinant proteins, so like a monoclonal antibody. I worked with CRISPR, Cas9, uh, enzymes, different bacteria, but it was primarily in the protein space, working with RNA and the banana particle. And the company that I started off at managing and designing these projects were for multiple pharma companies, globally large companies. If you've seen a breakthrough in the news, that company had a hand in it. And I've got Babies coming down the pipeline right now for stage three clinical trial it was uh, primarily small cohorts, uh, kids and adults with genetic disease and cancer, uh, smaller, smaller sized projects. But again, for large companies, research hospitals, universities. Um, and then I went into business myself after a couple of years because I was working uh, 18 to 20 hour days, seven days a week. And it was it was just untenable, but I loved my job and wanted to keep going. So now I have a home business where I consult businesses. But as of late, I've been consulting with doctors and the vaccine injured because I know the back end of how the vaccines were produced to hopefully help the patients. That's incredible. And I can't wait to hear more of what you have to share with us tonight. I'll go to Kevin now. Uh, Kevin, you are you have a specialty in genomics. genomics. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your background. You worked with the Human Genome Project. Uh, and tell us a little bit more about yourself. Uh, yeah, so I, I started my career in the Human Genome Project at MIT. I was a team leader for research and development there. And uh, shortly after that, spun out uh, a company called Agincourt, which um, built DNA purification tools for um, isolating uh, viruses and, and uh, other forms of uh, DNA from bacteria. Um, that company got acquired by Beckman Coulter. Uh, we spun up another one called Agincourt Personal Genomics that built the solid sequencer that went to market. Um, that was a new way of sequencing DNA. And um, I've been involved in clinical sequencing of kids with epilepsy and mito disease. And uh, currently we're doing a lot of sequencing in, in the agricultural space, looking at pathogens on, on cannabis. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. I know this discussion is really going to focus around the COVID-19 vaccines. Now that so much more information is coming out about uh, the, the lack of safety, the lack of efficacy, despite what they've been telling us for years. Um, I'd love for you to share with us, Christy, about why I mean, you, you're, you're the expert on the monoclonal antibodies and um, the lipid nanoparticles. Why are we seeing such crazy numbers of adverse reactions like we've never seen before? Thanks, April. And again, uh, I know Kevin's going to speak probably to the RNA and the plasmids, but on the lipid, because they're, it's a combination, but on the, the lipid side, uh, there's, there's multiple issues. Um, like we know that, you know, the lipid nanoparticle looks like it's almost like a, a ball and, and it's got different parts to it. And in the center 
is the, the RNA, but there are different types of lipids. Uh, there are what's called the pegylated, which you hear a lot, but that actually has a, an important function, even though it promotes an immune system response. Then you have cholesterol inside of this ball, this ball of lipids that's constructed. Uh, that's in there called a the helper lipid. There's also DSPC. That's another chemical lipid involved in this, this whole structure that looks like a ball. Then there are what are called protonated ionizable lipids, and those have a positive charge. And this is important if you think of like a magnet and one end of a magnet has a positive end and one end has a negative end and electric charges where this actually has a positive charge to these little lipids inside. And then there are some of them that can have a positive charge, but they just haven't been activated yet. And then in the very center of this ball of this particle, which looks almost like the coronavirus, not to confuse it. I mean, it looks like a, a sphere and it has these little like, like little nubs on the outside, which are actually the pegylated. Uh, in the center is the RNA and the RNA has a negative charge. So when you add up the negative and the positive charges, the particle itself is supposed to be mostly neutral, if not a little bit negative. Mm -hmm. And the pegylated actually stops it from breaking apart, but unfortunately that's not happening. So there's multiple studies recently and some have actually come out before the vaccines were even made. So, you know, please like feel free to interrupt me. So we've got all mm -hmm. these different little parts of lipids going on that are constructed. And when it's frozen and thawed, there's one professor, his name is Dr. Ko, and he wrote a study recently. It was published January of 2023. He's a professor of pharmacy and he's actually, um, to call me an expert, like I'm an amoeba, like he is like the grand master. He has almost 80 articles written on lipid nanoparticles in South Korea. And the most recent one that he did a study on was that the lipid nanoparticle is breaking down, which there's other authors that have noted this as well. And when it breaks down, the like it's separating and there's things that it can do now when it separates because the the RNA can slip out, uh, charges can start interacting with parts of the human body, which can cause clots. Um, so part of that, the uh, Dr. Ko also noted that the RNA is breaking, but then also it's not stable and it's not ready yet. So here's the guy that's saying things about, you know, teaching Dr. Ko from out of South Korea saying it's a great, great delivery system, but we don't know that it's ready yet. So mm -hmm. Uh, so alongside that, um, so going along that same line, when we talk about the RNA has a negative charge, the AstraZeneca vaccine was pulled off the market because of blood clots. And that was a study, uh, Baker et al. It was 2021. And they found that in some people, when um, we we're talking about people that are genetically predispositioned to have a more difficult time or response, some people have a different response to this, but the the, vir the part of the vaccine that AstraZeneca used has a negative charge inside of it. And they found that that was binding to something called platelet factor four and causing that was what was causing the clots. So that, that has a negative charge, but so does the RNA. So if that RNA slips out of that lipid nanoparticle, you can also see similar functions that are going on as well as um, April, have you heard of like the spindly clots and the bombers yes. and, and people were dismissing that? Yeah. So this is a crazy thing. There was a study and it was in 2020. And this study looked at charges on lipids and uh, that 
that scientist was oh Faisulin. It's a it's an odd name. I think it was an Italian Faisulin, and it was a Journal of Nanotechnology and Biomedicine, and it was in 2020. And they have photos of it, and they did tests. So they ran the studies in cells, and they found that a negatively charged lipid, which is also present in the the vaccine solution, mm -hmm. was binding with what's called fibrin, which is what clots are made up of, or what can start clots. And it was binding with it. But not only that, it was accelerating the clotting process by thousands fold. So what the normal human body response would mm -hmm. be to form a clot, it's doing this at just thousands upon thousands faster and then making them much thicker. So when a patient goes to the hospital with these clots, you know, I, a lot of nurses and doctors have been speaking out publicly that they're having a difficult time with heparin or yes. hexaban or warfarin not working because these clots are so thick and so dense. And part of that reason is that negatively charged lipid. A lot of the people out in these spaces are talking about positively charged lipids, but the negatively charged lipid additionally will go right into the bloodstream. Um, you know, jumping off that there, out of the horse's mouth, out of the the very people that make this stuff. Mm -hmm. There is a recent study that was in the last year and a half, and it was from doctors that work with Precision Nanosystems, and they have a webinar study that anyone can go on YouTube right now and take a look, Precision Nanosystems. Dr. Bushman out of George Mason University, 2021, they looked at the lipid nanoparticle and they injected them into rats, and they looked at what would happen if it broke down or if it was changed where there might be extra positively charged lipids and or if there were more RNA that should not just one but like many which Kevin's going to talk about that uh, what he found in there that would make it more negative so if that lipid nanoparticle is more negative they even did the studies and they're the guys that make it the lipids to say that it's going to go right to the spleen or into the vascular system, which is your blood vessels and your heart and your lungs. And that would cause a clot to form there before it even started in a leg, which usually like we've heard of people having a clot in their leg and then it travels up to their lungs. Yes, yeah. And so then with that negative charge, then again, it would be moving at a rate that is so much faster that is that that's not normally present in the human body. So it's I, like some of the nurses and doctors were posting photos of like saddle clots where it was like both sides of the lungs and just branched out. And they couldn't believe that they'd, they'd just not really seen much of that like on the rare, but now they were seeing it just so much and they didn't know, again, treating it was a lot more difficult because they were so hard to break up. I'm curious, as you talk about these clots, a lot of people have seen the documentary that was put out called um, Died Suddenly. Um, not sure if you saw it or not. Is there any truth to that? I mean, they're yeah. talking about basically these clots also be not really being um, made of, of blood, that they're actually almost of a metallic structure. Um, do you have any, any expertise on that? So the not the metallics, but the study that I talked about that was the the Italian study that's Fazulin et al. Mm -hmm. And that I had posted on Twitter. And I think it got like, I know we're talking about Twitter, but it, it was like shared 100, I think it was 100,000 views an hour. Like all, all the doctors were sharing it and they were viewing the study that they showed the clots that you're talking about, but it was mm -hmm. uh, thicker because the lipids were just uh, interacting with the fibrin in the human body. So it was making it look a certain way, even though it was thicker and more 
like woody. So not metal, but woody. And there's pictures and I could send you if you wanted uh, yeah. to study, I mean, this if you is wanted like to include it in this debate. video. <laughs> this is, I, you and again, know. that was 2020. So it was before right. the vaccines rolled. So that, oh. that study was 2020 when they posted it. So it wasn't even, so, so again, the vaccines rolled out okay. December of 2020. Another thing that's happening is aneurysms. And it'll either happen within 15 minutes when we talk about the people that really do die suddenly within 15 minutes after receiving the vaccine. Mm -hmm. the, the lipids have different ways in which they stick together. And one way is a aggregation. There's flocculation. And then there's something called Oswald effect. And I brought little lipids don't look like they don't look like this. But uh, one one thing that you can do is then get bigger in size. So if you like, and that's called Oswald effect. And if you look, imagine this a lipid, and if there's like a smaller lipid that comes next to this lipid, it's just it's just the way they work. Even like sugar crystals and water will do this. If anyone was a kid and they poured sugar in solution, and the and the crystals all gathered, and then sure. you get the rock candy on the yeah. string. So yes, yes. Is that maybe it's a younger generations? I don't know if they did no, that, but no, no, that's they'll like they'll like attach together, so they'll get bigger. So that's one way they'll attach. Yeah. And then if you have one with a, a positive charge and a negative charge, which is happening, you know, they can stick together. That's called flocculation. And then just because lipids will interact because they're hydrophobic or hydrophilic, it's called where they don't want to be around liquid and they'll kind of, they have what's called a polar head and they will aggregate and they can make little rings and circles. So, so you can get them bunching together many different ways. And actually ion bridging is another way, but I don't want to melt you know, brains or glaze eyes over. So you have like four different ways these lipids can confuse together and get bigger. And Dr. Ko, who wrote those 78 papers, uh, who just published January of 2023, stated that when the LNP within the back, when the vaccines are frozen, they are going through a physical change. And then the longer they're stored, like the worse it is. So we, we heard they're like trying to say that they're okay to be stored longer. So these things are getting stuck together. Uh, they're, they're not containing their shape. They're leaking out. The RNA is breaking. And then it's only, it's four, oh gosh, four millimeters in terms of the size of uh, an aneurysm. Like it all takes in that space. And so there's studies that I posted to my Substack that were mm -hmm. independent of me by doctors and researchers who treated patients with aneurysms and they ran the tests and they said that there were no, there were no allergic reaction. There was no antibody that was activated. There was no metal found in the MRI and there was no blood clot. And they, they didn't know what would have clogged that tiny vessel in the brain or in like the eye or the lungs. Mm -hmm. So the, the, your only option after that is, you know, it's not miss, it's not like a magic <laughs> it's not a magic thing right. floating in. It's the, the lipids that are doing it. Yeah, wow. I think it's an important point to hit on. The, the diameters of these things should be around like 200 nanometers. Yeah. And when they start to agglutinate, uh, they end up, they, they form syncytion, they get bigger. And if they just, if you get 10 or 20 of these together, they're big enough to start blocking arteries. Uh, yeah. And that's that's the uh, and that's the problem, I think, with the delivery system is you can't actually control the particle size. And the bigger it gets, the more toxic it gets to cells because cells 
you know, they can tolerate a small 200 nanometer particle merging and, and delivering a payload. But once that gets to be, you know, large, that like five or 10 times its size, and it merges with the cell, it kills the cell because the cell's surface area to volume gets too big and it can't sustain itself. So you really can't have these things in a, in a, in a free-for-all being able to make themselves uh, polydispersed, you know, different sizes, because then you're, you're creating a toxic brew that's going to be cytopathic when it ends up landing in, on a cell. Well, you know, it's interesting with, when you mentioned, Christy, that um, that the AstraZeneca vaccine had been banned from, over, well, it was banned here in the United States, and, and certainly we were finding so many problems with it, but they allowed Pfizer and Moderna to continue here in the U.S. Were they all basically using the same formula and just kind of, I mean, what is it? Because they all end up, you know, causing a lot of clots. They're all different mechanisms. I know Kevin wanted to chime in as well because AstraZeneca uses what's called an adenovirus, which is right. different where these for the Pfizer and Moderna are RNA and LMP, but Kevin sequenced them. So he knows the, <laughs> I don't want to yes. like jump over to Kevin, wow. but so he knows yeah, the. So the, the, um, the AstraZeneca one I'm actually a bit surprised by just because it does control the particle size by making an adenovirus capsid around it. So that, that, that one, you know, maybe, maybe it, um, it, it, uh, you know, forms these syncytia as well. I'm, I'm unfamiliar with it, that side of it, but I, I focused a little bit more on the actual LMPs and we dug into those and sequenced all the nucleic acids that are inside of them. And they're not what's on the label. I mean, yes, the vaccine mRNA, we can see there, but like 10 to 30% of the nucleic acids in there are DNA from the expression vector they use to make the RNA. Uh, that shouldn't be present. Uh, there's limits they have at the EMA for how many nanograms of double-stranded DNA can be in this, and it's down at like 330 nanograms uh, per milligram. So about one in 3,000 molecules they can tolerate being DNA, and we're seeing it to be hundredfold higher than that. Uh, and no one's doing anything about this. Uh, this is uh, it doesn't take a very sophisticated lab to sort this out. Uh, the sequencing can be complicated, but you can actually measure DNA with quantitative PCR or with a fluorometer. Uh, uh, with a gel electrophoresis system. These are all really uh, sort of ubiquitous platforms in the field that anyone can use to ascertain how much DNA is in this vaccine. Uh, and the fact that it's way over the limit and no one has uh, said a peep about this is, is, is quite frightening. Uh, now, yeah. uh, what is an expression vector? Expression I brought vector. props. You got props. <laughs> I was Good. ready for I you. I love your props, Christy. <laughs> yeah, so um, in order to make enough DNA to make all of this mRNA to go into billions of arms, they have to amplify a lot of DNA as a template to make the RNA. And the way they do that is they make these circular pieces of DNA known as plasmids that have a little region in them, a gene, if you will, an origin of replication that allows bacteria like E. coli to just make hundreds of copies of those per cell. So if you make hundreds of copies per cell, you can then grow bacteria overnight and get gallons of this stuff, crack open those cells. And this is where Christine was, was speaking earlier, Christy was speaking earlier, is that when you crack open those E. coli cells, you've got to be damn clean about it. You've got to make sure you get the plasmid out and you don't get any of the endotoxin from bacteria present. Because if you inject endotoxin into a patient, you're going to get uh, people having all types of... Um, uh, uh, I'll it's, it, it creates an, immu an immune response uh, that can be quite severe uh, when you, it's something known as uh, LPS. And uh, this is what can create uh, some of these, uh, some of these effects we're seeing with people where they, they have an anaphylactic shock out of the gate from the injection is because there, there could be some LPS from the bacteria that they grew the bacteria, that they grew this plasmid in. Now, that being you know, said- Can I just interrupt you for one second? This yeah, is sure. really profound that you're mentioning this because I was just contacted a few weeks ago 
by someone who asked me if I was getting, if I was hearing about a lot of vaccinated patients going in and having sepsis. Yes. Uh, there, I mean, there, there could be a host of reasons for, for sepsis. I, you know, the, the, the LPS might look like a septic event, but it usually cr triggers uh, a, a toxic shock syndrome. Uh, but mm -hmm. I don't, I don't have evidence that bacteria is in these vaccines and getting in. Uh, usually, sepsis requires live bacteria to replicate in the bloodstream. Mm -hmm. um, however, we are, uh, you know, when there ever, there, whenever there's a plasmid that can replicate inside of a coli, you have to worry about that getting into a bacteria in your system, like in your GI. We know that the LMPs can get to the gut. We know they can get to the testes, the ovaries, the brain. Half of them stay in the muscle, the rest go everywhere else, and they tend to concentrate in the liver and the spleen. But there are, there are small amounts of them getting to the GI, which is loaded with E. coli. So if we have uh, plasmids that have origins of replication that love to replicate in E. coli, we're going to get those plasmids are going to be sucked up by, soaked up by the E. coli and replicate in the E. coli. Um, now, the other thing that comes along with a prop that she had up there, that circle, is an antibiotic resistance gene that gives you aminoglycoside uh, resistance. So it's something that gives uh, the, the E. coli will, will then inherit antibiotic resistance for canamycin, for neomycin, and gentamicin. Uh, so we don't want that going into billions of people because it could start to transform their gut into an antibiotic resistant set of bacteria. Uh, that's something that's not in the informed consent. It's something that wasn't really discussed openly in the scientific community, that there is a risk that we are injecting trillions of DNA molecules that contain antibiotic resistance into the population. Now, the latter part that what I'm bringing up here, we don't have evidence that it's doing that. We don't have evidence yet that it's in patients' bacteria and creating this resistance. That's a, that's a, that's a hypothetical risk. What we do have evidence for is the molecules that, can, that code for the antibiotic resistance are in the vaccines. And we don't know where they go and what they do. And that should be known before, you know, you, you expand a vaccine program. And to your point about, you, you know, that's still an unknown. You both worked on different aspects of these, but specifically for very, very uh, sick people, right? People who were had cancer or some sort of genetic disease. What was your take when COVID hit? And Operation Warp Speed started and you started to realize that they were going to roll out this to the general population. I'm just curious, was that the moment that you that you, like the alarms were going off in your head yes. or at yeah. what point were you like, whoa, whoa, whoa? Absolutely. It, it looked out of the gate. It looked like a pharmaceutical lamb grab on a disease that wasn't that severe and that there were other you know, basically off-label treatments that could that, that could be used, whether it be hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin. I mean, there's a long list of these things that seem to help uh, manage people through COVID as long as they're given early. So, you know, early early detection to know what it is and then get them on these uh, these other drugs. There wasn't really ever a need for a vaccine and no vaccine you should ever give in the middle of a pandemic. That that just makes the, the viruses mutate right around them. So the whole idea out of the gate looked like a Darwin, Darwinian nightmare. It, 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 uh, mm -hmm. it, was, it, was, it was foolish out of the gate. Can I chime in on this? Please. Go for it. At first, I thought they solved the problems that we saw in the lab. Uh, and just to jump back to the LMP, the lipids are also going into, when Kevin mentioned, the ovaries, the testes, and they are, Cooper cells is another thing in the liver that they're doing. And I think there are studies that say they hit the toll-like receptors as well that are part of your immune system and that uh, they may be having impact on the... Uh, cells in the ovaries that have to do with follicle stimulating hormone, which is why you would see issues with menstrual cycles because uh, ovaries drive menstruation. Uh, so we're also, I think, seeing like atrophy or uh, even, oh my gosh, I don't want to say it even without getting upset here, like um, 
kids who are like five or six who are having like girls, like we've like read the studies. So like, I don't even want to say like what they are, mm-hmm. but uh, bouncing to back when it first rolled out, um, there's another thing that happens uh, when you make a protein in a lab, because what was put in the arm was the same thing we do in the lab all day long is you take RNA which would be like a little strand with some base pairs, like this is a poor representation. And then you would put it inside the LNP and you put it in a bunch of cells. And then the cells would make the, like, this is the instruction to make say the spike protein, which mm-hmm. is going into arms. And then you know, the cells grow, make lots of it and you break the cells open. And then you have to, just the same as the plasmid that Kevin said, you have to separate it out. You put it through these big straw like looking things that are called columns and it separates by size and other things. But uh, when we talk about the the RNA, another thing it does that's not uncommon is is fold or mis misfold. Like this is the spike protein, and it's everything's in the space it's supposed to be in, even though it looks looks like a mess. It is there for a reason, and it's not uncommon even when you make a protein in a lab for it to be like this is dramatic to say like whoops like that's not how it was supposed to be like, not like that, mm-hmm. but, but that you have to put it through a two-step process using what's called a protein detergent and then a buffer and you have to refold them. So another issue that I thought of when it first rolled. So the first thing I thought was my, my brain cracked in half. Like for a week I was just stunned and I just kept saying, what, like, what did they do? Like, are, are you serious? And like, this was one of my first thoughts was protein misfold. Um, we also know that there's a, a FOIA request that came out of Australia that shows that uh, the RNA is not the only thing in there with the plasmids, but pieces of RNA. And there are studies that just came out recently pointing to pieces of non-coding, like not meant to make a protein, RNA are linked to cancer. Mm-hmm. But uh, so back to like the when it first rolled out, um, I thought that... I thought, wait a second, I wonder if they fixed it. So that was my first thought. What if they they did something? Did they have an improvement that I don't know about that mm-hmm. is making it okay? Because when we make it in the lab, we're, we're, it's made by hand, and it's not stuff going down a conveyor, and it mm-hmm. has a lot of eyes on it and a lot of what's called quality control. Like Kevin said, purifying it, you're putting it through a lot of filters and steps to make it through its clean and uh but I thought maybe they fixed it. And I remember talking to some doctors and nurses who were against this and they were wondering what the clinical trial data looked like. And on the CDC and the FDA website, and I believe it was specifically the FDA website, they put up the results of Pfizer's clinical trial and they had groupings by age. And then they listed headache, nausea, sore throat, pain in arm. And they had all the numbers of people varied by age and nowhere did I see in the entire data set, what you would call an adverse event or a severe adverse event. And a severe adverse event would be heart attack, stroke, kidney failure, uh, or death. But none of that was there. So, you know, I thought, did they fix it? Because where's the adverse event data? So all, so when we talk about, you know, was there consent or did people know? And I still have this link, which I can send to you, which I archived of the FDA's website publishing Pfizer's so-called clinical trial data, they didn't list a single adverse event. Yeah, they they kept a headache is an adverse event. A headache is not an adverse event. A headache is a normal reaction. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know about you, Kevin, like what you, what you would call an adverse event versus severe adverse event, but uh, well, I, Gray would be one, right? <laughs> I remember, I mean, when this, this first started to roll out and I was watching the VAERS website quite closely. And I mean, it took a very long time for the CDC to actually, I mean, all it said on there was, you know, the typical, the typical thing of you might have a little fever or you might, you know, be sore in the arm or feel a little bit tired or whatever, but nothing of what was being put into the various database was being listed for people. And that was, that was such a deception. You know, so many people got this thinking, trusting science and thinking, well, I'm going to do the right thing, you know, for the good of humanity, for the better good, which I know, Kevin, we need to talk about with you because uh, we were talking earlier about how this is not the way to treat the population. You don't have a one size fits all type of rule for everyone, um, for medicine. But, um, yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. I mean, my efforts on the human genome project were in pursuit of personalized medicine and everything we're seeing in the vaccine programs, herd medicine, it's the opposite. It's treating everyone the same. And we know there are genetic predispositions to vaccine injuries, but prior to there even being these vaccines, which aren't really well quality controlled. So there's sodium mm-hmm. channel mutations and epilepsy that we're well, well aware of. So this concept of treating everybody the same is eventually going to be a eugenics program. You're going to sacrifice some members of the herd in order for everyone to comply. Uh, and that, 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 I think, goes against the whole tenets of, uh, of medicine to begin with. So, um, yeah, that, that, is a, that is a concern. And I think it also brings into the point Christy was was touching on there, which is consent. I don't think anybody really knew what was in these things because Pfizer didn't sequence them in Moderna. No one sequenced them and put that data public to know what they are. And they're truly a prodrug. This this mRNA has to go in and turn into something else. And in every other scenario where you have a prodrug, you have to characterize the final drug. They didn't have to do that. They got away with letting the human population make these proteins and not really know what they were making and what the side effects were and what the off off target kind of products were that these the, these mRNAs could make. So I'm particularly concerned about um, the genome integration question now, because I think that's been soiled. Now that we have so much DNA being injected, we can't really trust the studies that tried to address that before, because uh, now that there's there's you don't need reverse transcriptase activity to get DNA now. That's what everyone was arguing about a few maybe a year ago with the Zhang paper and the in the uh, Marcus Alden's paper. They were all trying to find these line elements that would reverse transcribe the RNA into DNA. You don't need to do that if you inject DNA. It's already DNA, and this DNA has signals in it that are going to get it into the nucleus. So, Can we show that like on a representation? Like I don't mean to interrupt, but like for people that don't know, like the central dogma of biology is DNA to RNA to a protein, protein. where the plasmid yes. would be the DNA, this would be the RNA, and then the protein would be our bunch. And when Kevin's talking about reverse transcript, you know, transcribe yeah, the RNA back into the DNA. So he, he's yeah. saying that this would be read back to this, and that would be a violation of everything we know of biology, where the plasmid, if it enters the nucleus, then it's all bets are off. Or we told we were told it only stayed in the arm, and then we were told it never went into the nucleus. And right now we know that it never stayed in the arm, only muscular area. But yeah, if it's plasmid, if it's DNA. Well, the other thing about this, and you, you know, you worked with the monoclonal antibodies. I thought it was, and some people will say monoclonal antibodies are were bad anyways. They they weren't good for you anyway. But when the FDA began to uh or limit them. Do you remember when they, when they did that and hospitals weren't able to get them, at least it was something, but 
Um, do you mind just telling us a little bit about monoclonal, monoclonal antibodies? Regeneron is one of the one of the big names that we hear with that. Is it truly, you know, a very serious drug that's not that great for you, but it should be used in certain cases? Can you explain? Wow. Thanks. So one thing with antibodies that are different than proteins is, um, lucky I have all these pipe cleaners here. So antibodies are in the shape of a Y and there's different parts to them and there's two pieces and you've got to do the same thing that we talked about where Kevin talked about where you start off with a plasmid and then you have the what's called sequence which is the recipe to make the protein that you put you've called flank in you put it into the plasmid and then you make a bunch of these a bunch of times and then like Kevin said you extract it and you filter it and then you get the RNA to go into a cell and then the cell makes these proteins. And the way that you know the proteins are different for an antibody is they look like a Y and they have two, this is like terrible. I don't know if people can see this, mm -hmm. but there's like, they're kind of stuck together in the bottom and then there's a Y at the top. And there's phosphor, phosphodiester, there's bonds in between them. But when they're in the cell, they're not together like that. They have to be put together after they're busted out of the cell and purified and put through all these steps. So I feel like an antibody has more eyes on it and more processes involved because you've got to put them together. Uh, and again, the projects I've worked on have been very small and they haven't been what is called high throughput, even though I've, I've seen those and I've, I've managed a couple of them where they're, when I say high throughput, that's when there's tons of machinery and tons of robotics and less eyes involved mm -hmm. and usually lower, not that everyone has to have the same education, but you, have, you just have so many people in there where you can have more contamination. Like I know in Japan, there were people that died because there were metal, it was a Japan where there were metal fragments uh, that landed wow. in there and then they were injected. But to go back to like the antibody, I feel that, okay, so wow. I don't want to misspeak here. Amovig is an antibody. It has gotten, I don't want to swear, the crappiest reviews. Uh, even though they say it's great, it actually, Amovig is a, an antibody that is made to help people who have migraines because it travels to a certain spot of the body and it blocks uh, certain pain from happening. Mm -hmm. But what neurologists are telling patients is completely different than the trial data where it only works in about one third of the patients and it only reduces their pain by about one third to 50%. But then the side effects last for a month where it's vomiting nonstop and nausea for a month and insomnia, insomnia nonstop for a month. And you can't escape it because oh, it's, it's there for like a month and it's injected into the thigh. So like, why do you think that what the doctors are saying to their patients, is it strictly a money thing? They're getting, you know, they're, they're making money by selling these pharmaceuticals. I, I, think there's, I think we have to separate the, the sort of clinical outcomes with, um, the manufacturing QC, monoclonal antibodies, we know how to make. Like the, the, many of them have made it to the market and not under such rush, rush circumstances. So I, I do think there's a double standard going on right now. There are the ones that are good. Sorry, I'm going to jump yeah, back in. Yeah. Like there's ones for the eyes called a flibercept and ilea that is helping with macular degeneration and uh, diabetes degeneration when people lose yeah. their eye and they inject yeah. right in. Yeah. And like how and those work those. great. Yeah. yeah. So there, there's, there's, they actually know what they're making there. And, and the double standard you see at, at currently at the FDA is that they give a complete hall pass to a drug that's never been used before or characterized before yet. They have mm -hmm. 
like really high scrutiny against these monoclonal antibodies and ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. Ivermectin has mm -hmm. been in a billion people, right? I mean, this is a drug right. that won the Nobel Prize, and here they are saying that thing's dangerous, but the environmental or the the the, um, the emergency use drugs can go into children m multiple times a year. So there's yeah. there's something really captured going on there that doesn't make any sense. We Just lost regulation too, Kevin. Did did you know about that, or did I want to? Did you want me to like quick say it? Please no, do. Go for it. So. Um, and so there used to be a committee called the RAC, the RAC, and it's the uh, recombinant uh, genetic product advisory committee, but just RAC. And they were a separate committee full of doctors that were a biosafety committee for RNA, DNA, genetic products. And in 2019, in July of 2019, Moderna submitted their main RNA patent to make guess what? And then in August of 2019, Fauci of the NIH effectively voted and eliminated the RAC, RAC, the Committee for Biosafety, and said that it would just be taken care of by the NIH. We didn't have to worry about it. And then once uh, the pandemic happens, the NIH partnered with Moderna. So that doesn't look good, but we lost yeah, our biosafety committee on DNA and RNA products. And there's $400 million in royalty going to NIH from Moderna. So um, I know the corruption have, just continues. It doesn't yeah. stop. Yeah, it seems to have no bounds. I mean, so let's talk a little bit about how when this was all unfolding and you guys are realizing what's going on, I know that you were very highly involved with trying to help people just get treatment, correct? like early, early treatments and just uh, focusing on more like natural, natural medicines and, and that type well, that of thing. Was, I, I'm not a physician, so I wasn't really advising mm -hmm. anyone on that front, but I was certainly reading that literature and making everyone I knew mm -hmm. aware of it, that this is getting suppressed and, uh, and it looks like it's effective and we don't really have any information on how these vaccines are manufactured or what's in them. And so I, I mm -hmm. certainly was doing my part advocating sure. online and with my friends, but I, I, I don't see patients. Sure, sure. And Christy, I know we were talking before a little bit about, um, I thought this was shocking when I saw the push uh, for for pregnant women to have this vaccine. I, it just made me sick to my stomach. Um, I don't remember ever there being a time, and I'm a mom, but I don't remember ever there being a time where vaccines were pushed on pregnant women ever. No, I'm uh, a mom and I couldn't dye my hair when I was pregnant or scoop the litter box. Right. So like, like literally not even drinking, but we literally can't dye our hair, scoop the litter box because of right. plasma, plasma, yeah. Yeah. Taxoplasma Gandhi. There it is. Yeah. Right. And yet we saw this, uh, you know, just nonstop propaganda on pregnant women. And now through all of the data that we're looking at, and we're seeing that we know now that the mRNA passes through the blood brain barrier, and of course the placenta, and now these children are being born and their DNA has already been altered, correct? Well, we, we don't know if there's been integration yet in, in children. That's definitely a concern. Um, Rudy Janesh has done great work at the Whitehead looking at that with SARS, and Marcus Alden has done this work uh, looking at it with the vaccine. So that, that story hasn't really been investigated enough, to be frank. Okay. Uh, it should be looked at really heavily. There should be deep sequencing going on in sperm to see if there's any integration events that are coming through. 
because uh, we do know the LMPs go to the testes. But uh, for, sadly, I don't think anyone's going to be funded to look for it. Um, it's sure. it's not a simple problem to solve because you do need to do very expensive deep sequencing to find it. Um, and uh, there's not a motivation for anyone to look, but that's certainly um, what is on my mind when I see all of this DNA and the vaccines is that it's, it, it potentially could cause integration events. And now uh, for your audience to have some perspective, go back three years and look at what they did to the gentleman named He in China who made two CRISPR babies. That guy went to jail for three years. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Suddenly when there's a pandemic that might hurt the people uh, who are upset about this, suddenly their ethics change uh, to get extraordinarily selfish and uh, we can start jabbing women with these things who are pregnant. And that's not a, that's not a virtue of even stopping the pandemic. That's them being afraid of COVID-19 and wanting other people to absorb the risk, people mm -hmm. who, who really don't need to. Wow, it's it's really incredible. Um, Christy and Kevin, I know you both have amazing substacks. I, in fact, I was reading through Kevin's earlier today. Christy, I just was skimming the surface of yours, but it's really good information for anyone who wants to do a deep dive and see plenty of evidence and charts and all kinds of things to show you exactly what they're talking about. Uh, Christy, you go first. Tell everyone where to find you on Substack and social media. Thanks. Um... Christy Laura Grace on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at underscore heart of grace underscore. That's one of my business names is heart of grace. And my Substack is linked there. Uh, it's called recombinant reflections. I've been diving in mostly on the LNP side. Uh, I'm also going to be posting information there and on Twitter. And then I can uh, Aaron series team and I, I have done a little consulting and they've also done some help with me because I have an active uh, FOIA request right now. And I have asked without asking for the master batch records, I asked for all the analysis I could think of. And I asked Kevin for some help on that for specifics to ask for the last two years on every batch that Pfizer has put out so we can try to get more information. And as I know, they're not expediting it, but they are, they're, they're, they're going to give it to us because they have to. Please. So I've had some Zoom meetings with a uh, series team, and then they are going to post the results from that FOIA on ICANN. So ICAN for the information yes. network. So that's coming. Wonderful. Love that network, by the way. I follow them. And Kevin, your Substack and where people can find you. Uh, you can find me. Uh, my Substack is anandamide. Uh, uh, you, if you can't spell that correctly, it's a nepetalactone newsletter as well. That's uh, that's a compound in catnip. Um, and uh, uh, you can find me on Twitter. At, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Kevin underscore the... McCarnan. On <laughs> yeah, we'll tag you. We've got you linked below as well, and and your Substacks as well. And thank you both so much for sharing your expertise on all of this. Uh, I'm gonna leave the last word to Kevin. What do you want people to know? If there's one thing they take away from this interview, what would be the word or the, the phrase that you want them to really hear from your heart? I, I would ask them uh, to the extent that they can lobby or speak to um, local authorities on this is to is to petition some other labs to reproduce this work because we can't wait for peer review. It's too urgent. Peer review takes six months to a year and oftentimes is, is jammed up with a lot of political influence from the funders of the journals. 
Uh, and this is, we were very careful in this experiment to design it in a way that could be easy, easily replicated for under $1,000 in another lab. All you need is a PCR machine or a fluorometer or a gel, and you can discern whether there's DNA in these vaccines. The most important thing the community can do is get this replicated, because if it's replicated, we don't need peer review. That, the science is about replication, not three anonymous reviewers you know, talking about your work. You, we need pipettes mm -hmm. to, hit, to actually hit the table here. Uh, and so if we can get that done, and this, in fact, replicates. Well, then we have to step back and, and ask ourselves: Are we going to allow to have these vaccines on the market when they are violating the known regulations, the few of them that there are, on the actual quality standards? They're they're exceeding the quality standards by ten to a hundred fold on the DNA, and that's something that no one knew about, no one consented to, and they should be pulled if they can't clean it up. Thank you for that. And Christy, last words for you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Wow. I think it mirrors Kevin's that, uh, and I just know this because I've checked into the legalities. Uh, each state in the U.S. has a rule whether a citizen can suggest a law be changed. But it is to, I mean, Ron Johnson is like our sole fighter in the U.S. And I uh, hate to pick on Massey right now, but hammer on him and Ron Paul. And uh, mm -hmm. I don't know, if Kevin, if you can think of other politicians that are kind of skirting the edge. But they're not quite diving. Yeah, well, deep there, there seems to be some friendly folks in Florida too. So yeah, yeah, I'll hand it to Latipo and, and DeSantis. They seem to be taking this very seriously. So yeah, um, I would say is, flood I, their I emails. We've, uh, we have to raise the flag on this. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know too. You know, here in Texas, where where I'm at, um, I know we've got a lot of good fighters. So I'll certainly be contacting them as well and sending this interview as well. Thank you both so much for your time tonight. We're glad that you're here. Thanks, April. Thank you, April. Appreciate the coverage.